You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey, I'm Andrew. And I'm John. Our show, Magnified Pod, is the only podcast that discusses culture, religion, politics, and deep dives into the discographies of the bands that shaped a generation of 90s youth group kids. Check out Magnified Pod on the Rock Candy Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, we have Lucian Greaves back on the show. But before we get to that, as always, I have to thank my patrons. They are my personal lords and saviors, and they enable my crippling content creation addiction. So for this week, I have to thank Jeremy13, Sarah, Justin, Paul, and Rabbit Waller. Thank you all so much. If you want to join their number, just go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. That sound was Lucian Greaves dropping something in the background. And if you want to join their number, just go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for a dollar a month or $5 a month, you get extra content every single week, including my House of Heretics live show. You can drop in on the chat. It is every uh, Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Timothy McPherson, former Salvation Army officer, and I discuss all kinds of things. Whatever's going on in the world, we talk about movies, we talk about religion, we talk about politics, we talk about mental health, just whatever is interesting to us in that moment we discuss. And uh, it also really, really helps the show. Also, the show is sponsored by thesatanictemple.tv. If you enjoy the occult, if you enjoy rituals, live streams, lectures, there is all kinds of stuff on thesatanictemple.tv, and you can get one month free using my promo code SACREDTENSION, all caps, no space, at checkout. And finally, one of the best ways to support this show is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts that tells our digital overlords that this show is worth sharing with others. So I'm going to share a five-star review. This one is from Great Britain by Georgia Buns. And Georgia says, uh, brilliant. Just listened to the episode with Katie Herzog. Loved the conversation. Host knows how to have a really interesting, insightful, intelligent discussion. Short and sweet and very kind. That was also one of my favorite shows, by the way, my interview with Katie Herzog that I did last year. She's a fascinating, grumpy lesbian, political commentator, and fellow podcaster. She does the Blocked and Reported podcast. Uh, I highly recommend everyone go listen to that one. It's called Getting Canceled with Katie Herzog. All right. Well, please just take a moment to go leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. All right. Well, with all of that out of the way, Lucian Greaves, welcome back. Hello. I feel like it's been a bit longer than usual since you've been on. Uh, time has lost meaning for me the last couple of years. <laughs> it really has. No. I, on a, is it just me or is 2021 harder than 2020? Like, I feel like this worse, this this year has been more terrible, more dreadful than 2020 for whatever reason. I don't know. I, I knew I knew what I was getting into. As soon as the pandemic started, I thought, 
that I was looking at some long-term changes in my personality that I might not be able to roll back. <laughs> and I was more afraid that I'd get comfortable with it. And I feel like that's the point I've gotten at now. But it's, it's similar to like when people say enough rotten things about you on the internet or whatever, and you stop really caring what people think. And people always applaud that notion of just getting over what other people think about you or whatever. But being the recipient of that and, you know, having gone forward with a lot of my projects, you know, not caring what the opposition would think, but still seeing people who should know better say terrible things. I can tell you that you lose an essential part of yourself when you really, truly stop caring what people think because they burned you out so much on their outrage and their baseless criticisms. You know, I, uh, I really relate to that. Honestly, everyone's like, no, just embrace being yourself and don't care what other people think online. And I'm like, no, I actually care a lot. It is in my nature to care a lot about what other people think of me. Also, I think it's in human nature to care a lot about what other people think of us. And if we don't, then we're fucking sociopaths. And so the the having that ability to care what people on the internet think of me having that burned out of me doesn't feel very healthy <laughs> like it it, well, you, you don't it isn't a good place to be when shitty people dislike you for who you are but when shitty people are trying to frame you as somebody completely different from who you are you know that's when it's infuriating and frustrating and and everything else yeah i have a couple of medium articles going around about me you know, uh, kind of critiquing my work. And I've I've noticed how it has made me cynical of everything that I see online. When I when I watch how people I know people and some people who I consider to be friends who have just been dragged and trashed and lied about online so much, it, it makes me just question everything I see online because I I now know how easy it is for lies to spread. And so the end result is that I just don't believe anything. And I don't know if that is a healthy headspace to be in. Right. I know exactly what you're saying. Or when you're deeply skeptical of your relationships, your interpersonal relationships, because you've gotten burned too badly too many times. And of course, the whole social dynamic for me in the past 10 years doing the Satanic Temple changed dramatically from the time prior to that. And it's a, it's a pretty difficult adjustment to come to that place where even people close to you can treat you as an object, a, a vehicle for their own self-aggrandizement or whatever else, and cash you out as a friend, yeah. you know, for, for more hits online or whatever. Like you, you can't help but, but change a bit when you experience quite a bit of that, and not all of it's going to be for the better. Yeah, I I relate to everything you're saying right now. It isn't pleasant. I mean, part of it is, I guess, just the reality of being a public figure. Part of it is just being a content creator. I wouldn't say I'm a public figure, and not to the degree that you are, but I am a content. Cre- you know, I've I've watched people who I thought were friends just turn on me so hard. And and it, it's it's a very challenging thing to experience. But OK, so all of that aside, there is a new article out about TST and uh, none of us want to talk about it, but we might as well fucking talk about it. It came out on Newsweek. 
and it is hold on the title is is honest honestly the title is the best thing about it let me let me pull this up real fast i have it well in case you didn't know it was also authored by a christian writer who started at newsweek uh like a month ago looks to be an elderly lady and she's written about sexual purity from the christian perspective as well as other christian writings Oh, so that's why there's such a big stink about sex positivity in TST. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a thread I don't even know. I didn't know why she wanted to pull at first until I looked up her background. But she's she's really uh, apparently uh, offended by the idea <laughs> of sex positivity in general. Yeah, so the title of this article is Orgies, Harassment, Fraud, Satanic Temple Rocked. Hold on. God damn it. My phone just... Went, went dead orgies harassment fraud satanic temple rocked by accusations lawsuit so there were no yes. accusations of orgies i'm not sure what accusations of harassment they were talking about in there uh the accusation of fraud is a claim about a claim and there were several claims about claims in this yes. article there yes. was there were claims about sexual abuse, but there were no actual claims of sexual abuse. And I'm not aware of these claims. They have a quote from somebody saying that they'd received all these more than anecdotal complaints about sexual abuse within TST or whatever. And I thought, well, why haven't I heard about these? And why didn't the journalists try to talk to anybody who might be one of the people actually making the complaint rather than a secondhand quote saying that, oh, these complaints are somewhere. But fraud there's i don't even think there's an accusation of fraud in anything said in the article hey, yeah that one was in. that one confused me also I'm, my, I'm gonna tell people right now though, tell them we've we've demanded a retraction okay. from from newsweek because it's so egregious and you know people were already saying well what are the optics of this are you going to sue newsweek or whatever and i'm well, why not you know well you're the free speech guys well we still are you know, read my articles about free speech. We always make room for defamation. And, exactly. You know, when it's provable inaccuracies like this. And there's some egregious provable bullshit in this article. Like they have a quote from somebody calling herself Salami, I guess, in, uh, from Pensacola saying that... Uh, <laughs> Salome. I think it's yeah. Salome, but Salami, sure. Yes, yeah, so Salami works. <laughs> but, but Salami claims that... She was thrown out of TST after asking me why I was using TST money to pursue a personal lawsuit against Twitter for having suspended my account. And this was just placed in the article and her statement taken at face value, whereas the fact of the matter is that conversation never took place. And if somebody had come to me and said, why is TST use, why are you using TST money for this personal suit? I would have merely explained, well, we have pro bono representation for one thing, so TST resources aren't being expended. But for another, it wasn't a lawsuit about my personal account getting suspended, although that fact was rolled into the complaint as evidence of disparate treatment. Hmm. The whole story was is that somebody tweeted, that somebody needed to burn down our headquarters. And Corey Feldman, this ch washed out child actor, retweeted it. And he's got a bit of a following. So it started to get to get horrifying to see that there was traction growing for this idea. 
And it's a very clearly a tweet that runs afoul of Twitter's terms of service. Mm-hmm. So I reported the tweet. Twitter came back, said, this does not violate our terms of service. <laughs> I retweeted the tweet and asked my audience to also report the tweet because Twitter wasn't looking at my reports for some reason. Then Twitter suspended not only my account, but the main TST account. A uh, temporary basis for the main TST account by association with me, permanent suspension on my account. And they said what I had done was targeted harassment against the person who had called for our headquarters to get burned down. And now this, to us, seemed like a worthwhile battle to fight. Like, we didn't feel for a moment that another religious group would be treated that way. And we didn't want to normalize this idea that people can call for us to be killed publicly and build this idea that there is a general approval of that. You know, I fighting back against that, I felt, served the broader interests of our community without question. So there was nothing about that quote that was true. And when the journalist reached out to me initially, she asked me questions, but she didn't ask me questions about anything that she ended up including in her article. She started out really hung up on the various corporate entities that TST has has built up over the time that we've had this organization. And, you know, she clearly saw something nefarious in the fact that we have United Federation of Churches, LLC, Reason Alliance, uh, TST, TST Inc., you know, the Satanic Temple Inc., and then things like TST TV, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the other enterprise that runs the, the satanic estate and things like that. And I explained to her, well, we started out as an LLC because we weren't tax, we weren't religiously tax exempt and we hadn't asked for it. We went with United Federation of Churches because, you know, we might've been looking to work interdenominationally and, and, you know, not be written off applying for something or whatever, just, you know, straightforward with the name, the satanic temple. 10 years ago, you know, we're the ones who really broke the ice, you know, so United Federation of Churches seemed safe. And then we realized we didn't have the same kind of access to religious combinations as other religious groups. Unless you, we had a you just broke up really those. fast. You, you, you didn't, you realized that you didn't have the same access to what? Oh, uh, to accommodations made for religious entities, whereas where some things required a 5013C. And one of those things was uh, doing after-school clubs. So at the time we were doing the after-school Satan clubs, we needed a 5013C3. We set up Reason Alliance. And the mission of Reason Alliance is to support the Satanic Temple. It's very openly that way. And then the Satanic Temple, Inc. came along as a result of the IRS recognizing us as IRS tax exempt. We needed a separate, we needed to set up an entity for that. So she keeps going over this and keeps trying to, and she was not very bright, you know, like I I talked to her at length and she wasn't comprehending a lot of things. And I was telling her like, look, judicial watch has looked into us and they're definitely not on our side. You know, every time we go into court and do discovery, uh, our opposition thinks maybe they'll find something in these corporate documents, corporate structure, tax returns and everything. They don't. You know, we've gone through this again and again. What's what's a judicial watch? Judicial watch is this right wing 
organization that likes to catch what they deem to be progressive, liberal, socialist, communist groups. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, they do like public records requests. That's pretty much all they do. And then they they try to scandalize whatever they find. And in Judicial Watch's case, they were looking into our corporate structure and they came up with this narrative about how the Obama administration fast-tracked our 501c3 for uh, Reason Alliance. Um, <laughs> Therefore, Obama is a Satanist. That's what like that means. That. Right, right. <laughs> in, in Forbes magazine, you know, a tax expert looked at all our stuff and wrote a wrote an article based on the Judicial Watch press release. And he was saying that, you know, there's nothing wrong with our corporate structure. There's, you know, nothing to see there. And even though it might be confusing, that's just the way it is. So I'm getting all this outreach from this Newsweek lady. And finally, I said to her an email, I wrote to her and I said, look, all this noise about our corporate structure, I would call it a conspiracy theory if there were a theory behind it. But I told her, as far as I know, it's just people saying that they're confused and they're not experts on corporate structure to begin with. I was like, if you want to talk to any of the lawyers who helped set this up or the accountants to help clear this up for you, fine. But I hope before you make with some story that makes it look like there's something wrong here, you at least have an idea of what's wrong and what would be right, you know? First, tell us how you think we're nefariously benefiting from this corporate structure that we have. And then tell us, knowing the evolution of the organization and why we have these different entities, how, what you would do to make it any different. And that's when she shut up about that. And that's pretty much when she stopped asking me questions about anything at all, because I think she was worried that it would take away her ability to write the story that she wanted. And ultimately, she just wanted to write salacious claims that she dug up from the Internet and had people repeat to her who had written them before. And absolutely. And this is way outside the bounds of Newsweek's own guidelines, which they put on their website, you know, they not giving us any opportunity to respond to any of these things and even not, you know, tracking down the sources. Like I said, publishing hearsay claims, claims about claims is just, to me, it seems really egregious. And I'm not sure where we're at with the retraction demand now, but um, you would have thought she'd have been a little careful because she also spoke at length with our lawyer to begin with and, and quoted our lawyer in the piece. That's a, uh, Yeah, I was really surprised about that. Like, how did you fuck this up so much? You talked to Matt, you talked to Lucian, like, that's, that's like... It was clearly deliberate. It was a it well, was, right. Well, we yeah. made we made the the point in the demand for retraction too that the the story itself is terribly inconsistent. It claims very inconsistent things about us. At one point, you have us being called this polyamorous social justice warrior club, which is fine. And, which would be right. fine, <laughs> right? There's nothing and wrong then, with that. On the other hand, but but you also have the claim that. We're cozy with the alt-right or whatever as well. And in, in this claim that there's pictures of leaders, in, you know, with uh, with alt-right leaders and stuff like that. And I'm like, what pictures are we talking about? Like, how do you make a claim? Like, did the reporter actually see any of these pictures or did she just hear that or what? Like, it, it there there were several other things that, that were just totally uh, inconsistent as well. 
that led us to say in the letter, like, it's clear that the only thing consistent in the article is that it just lists disparaging claims against TST. So it's very difficult to avoid a conclusion of actual malice, which is something you would have to prove in a defamation case. Yeah, I'm interested about the potential objection that, well, aren't you the free speech people? Why are you asking for a retraction? And I just like want to clarify for everyone that is Twitter logic. That is the that is that is like teenage right wing troll Twitter logic that it like that that level of free speech stupidity has nothing to do with free speech law in the United States. A a demanding a retraction has nothing to do with the foundational principle of free speech. Well, and if, like I said, if anybody reads my writing about free speech, I cover defamation and I also say in the articles I've written that what I'm arguing for isn't less restrictions on free speech than we have now. I'm really, when it comes to free speech, I'm usually arguing for the status quo. I'm usually arguing skeptically against further restricting free speech, you know, uh, uh, more so than the standards we have right now. You know, defamation calls to violence, things like that. Like, I'm not, uh, I don't think I'm appropriately uh, cast aside as the free speech absolutist they say I am. I know there's, uh, there's certain scenarios, you know, if you, if, if you say, you know, kill them, you know, and the crowd rushes them and kills them or whatever, you, you're going to bear some blame. You're going to bear some responsibility if you publish a, a pamphlet claiming that your neighbor is a pedophile and there's no reason to think so, you know, there should be consequences for that kind of thing. And I feel like when you're a news outlet as large as Newsweek and you do something as irresponsible as publish an article like this, you know, and, and you know, clearly uh, there was no effort made to validate or disconfirm any of this or even ask us about the claims uh, that is also egregious and you know results in real real reputational harm yeah for anyone interested in the free speech subject i really recommend everyone go listen to my interviews with adam goldstein from fire which is the foundation for individual rights and education and they're fantastic and Adam's great and he he's a free speech lawyer and lays out a lot of um, what free speech is and isn't in the United States. So, yeah, definitely go check that out. Yeah, I think the impression I had while reading it was <clears throat> I felt like the goal of the article was to make was was that satanists being in squabbles has kind of a carnival freak show quality to some people and they just wanted to make satanists look stupid it 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 was a carnival sh- sideshow like look at these freaks over here well it's funny how our detractors just jumped right in for the opportunity to be in this in this piece and have their voices heard or whatever <laughs> that's and the they're, irony they're literally they're literally teaming up with like a pro abstinence christian author simply looking to take down satanists <laughs> yes yeah exactly exactly yeah and you know the other thing that stood out to me in this article was you know perception versus reality the perception is still that we are primarily an activist 
organization in that we are atheists pretending to be Satanists. And, you know, the plot twist and the reality is, no, we're actually Satanists who happen to be atheists. That, that's kind of how I personally frame it. It's like, no, we are a religious organization. Satanist is a deeply held religious identity. Oh, there was also the absurd line in that in that article saying that it's it's unclear whether we actually practice the abortion ritual. And it's like, well, this is a documented fact. You yes. know, this is something that's going to court now. Yeah, this is something that's uh, under oath, sworn into affidavits. And, you know, and again, the journalist didn't ask us about any skepticism she may have had regarding that. But it's like, why would you be skeptical about somebody's religious claim of such to begin with? And if you are, why wouldn't you ask? And, you know, how did that make it? How did that make it past an editor? Yeah, there's an extraordinary lack of curiosity in in the whole thing. And, you know, I so I do a lot of work in satanic ministry, which is kind of the for for audience for people in the audience. That's like basically the clergy of the satanic temple. And it is so it i'm it it has become it is so clear and so obvious to me that that this organization has a religious life there is there is a religious life to this organization that is core to to TST that is like that that religious identity and that religious life is central to TST and the activism the activism flows from it and that that's how i see it and it's and so it's almost jarring to me when i when i see these claims of you know you're you're just activists and it's really like this article framed tst naming their renaming the chapters congregations as almost like a cynical power move as a publicity stunt to appear more like a religion and what's never considered is that no we, oh, you're right. she, we she, are a she religion said that, she said that explicitly she said that uh, i believe she said that uh, we set up the congregation structure in order to appear like a mainstream church. Whereas the reality is we spent years putting together the ordination program. We didn't just put something online saying, Hey, buy your ordained minister card from the satanic temple. No, you have to be referred. You know, you, you have a letter of recommendation. We have, we have uh, online coursework you have to go through and we have to be sufficiently uh, convinced that you truly understand where we're coming from and, and are worthy of representing this and, and that you aren't just coming into it for uh, the activism, which some of the people she spoke to did who got disillusioned with TST and then started making false claims against us. One of them who uh, runs a site all day long, apparently doesn't work, you know, just, just disparages TST all day long on the internet and makes up bullshit claims about us being a pyramid scheme and stuff like that, uh, <laughs> actually said, you know, they joined TST and thought the Satanism part was cheesy. They wanted to get into their, yes, you yeah. know, their activism or whatever. That, and that I can't, really I can't express enough. If, if that's your interest, just don't fucking join, you know, go to your other, uh, go to your other political groups that deal with those issues you want. You know, exactly. if, if you don't understand the Satanism we're a part of here, then, then don't join. It's not for you. Or if you're not sure about our position on free speech and, and our, our position on other things, or, you know, the general things that we act, have acted on consistently and we feel in line with the tenets, it's fine if you don't agree with it, 
but maybe don't fucking join either. You know, don't don't come in and act like we should change the entire organization to fit your unprincipled position that you can't reconcile uh, on both sides of a debate and say like, oh, the rules only apply, you know, this much on this side and this much on the other. You know, that's not how social standards work in a well-operating society. You know, it's just not how it goes. And I think uh, the Satanic Temple is trying to build more longevity than these uh, than these uh, political activist flare ups that we have that don't have a direction, just kind of want to tear things down and and don't really have uh, constructive input on anything at all. And that's what I think really kind of distinguishes us. And, uh, you know, we just don't need it. We don't need we don't need to build membership like that either. We don't need to pull in, you know, low quality people who don't really care what the beliefs are or, or whether it's going to uh, look good as a, as a slogan or quote on their Facebook page or whatever else, like mean activism. Right. We don't do mean activism. It, it, the activism, I feel like the activism that TST does is slow and hard and the long game. And I can't imagine anything more, diametrically different from meme activism than that right right yeah exactly or or the or the facile sloganeering that we have that uh you know has hasn't really gotten us anywhere to be quite honest you know (laughs) but you know the she was talking to people in the newsweek article who claimed that we were a pyramid scheme and she had started with that too she talked about that with me and I asked her then, like, explain to me what that means. Because when you have an organization that doesn't charge people for membership, doesn't charge dues, doesn't do tithing, and does not advocate for proselytizing, you know, we don't tell people you got to bring people in. In fact, at this point, I feel like might need to trim back a little bit, you know, get the people out who are disappointed that this is actually uh a non-theistic religion when they thought that they were joining up with some kind of clever ploy or something, just go, just go, you know? So I was telling her, you know, none of this adds up to any coherent claim of being a pyramid scheme. So what does that mean? She abandoned that too, but she still decided to quote at face value. So many things said by the person who throws out the bogus claim that we're a pyramid scheme. That, that can't be validated by, you know, any even, not even, not even a definition of what, what, what is meant by TST equals conspiracy theory. And as far as I know, no one and everyone in TST is volunteers at every level, basically. Like, I, I might be wrong about that. And, but well, we, we, well, well, you know, we, our content creators at, on TST TV, they, they, they make, make money. Absolutely. Right. And, uh, we, I, at, at our headquarters, we do have we have people hired, you know, and certainly, you know, we have contractors and things like that. And, you know, we definitely have our lawyers, things like that. So we, we can't say that nobody's employed off of this. But also it's like this question of, well, wh- where does the money go? It's like, how much did you lose and how? How did you lose money on this on this operation here? Like if you look at our campaigns, we genuinely try to estimate what we will need 
for a campaign to be successful, right? And, and sometimes it's very difficult, you know, like we're going to be suing Texas. $200,000, probably not enough when all is said and done. We can fundraise later, you know what I mean? But $200,000 up front, that's a lot of money too. So, you know, we, we went in for, for 200K and we're, we're suing Texas now. We're going to have more lawsuits coming up, no doubt, you know. But if you look through the, you look through our past, everything we fundraised for, we've come through on as well. So where'd the money go? It went towards the fucking campaigns that people, you know. So what else are they asking about? Merchandise? If you buy a t-shirt, all you're going to get from that is your t-shirt. <laughs> if you don't get it, then you're owed a refund. Yes. You know, if the shop does wild profits over the next years, Malcolm and I owe nobody a fucking apology for that, you know? And nobody's owed an apology for not getting paid to be a member. Like ultimately, what's this come down to? You join a congregation, you know, you have that opportunity to build that community. It's not a paid position. It was never, never presented as such. But, you know, that said, ministers, they can, they can charge for weddings, funerals, they set their own prices, whatever, you know, that's something they negotiate with the public. And that's why we also want to make sure we know who our ministers are and that they really understand where we're coming from. But, you know, ministers, they, they can absolutely get paid. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and all the money I make for being a Satanist comes from my patrons on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. <laughs> that is that is how this Satanist makes money. So, yeah, I mean, the that line that you referred to or that quote that you referred to in the article where it's like I f- this person was saying I found the Satanism part basically kind of stupid. I was here for the activism. I don't mean to be I, I don't mean to to be disparaging but i know i have encountered a lot of people where the the say they come for the activism and if that is why someone is here that is a that that's just inevitably doomed for failure on their part because it isn't an activist group it is a fundamental misalignment of identity it is a fundamental misalignment of what this organization is and and, yeah, if, and why would you want to join an organization when you're already not taking what they're telling you at face value <laughs> yes right yes like we've consistently said these things and it, that that was what was disturbing to me about the hail satan documentary too is how many people seem to get their completely own ideas about what the meaning of the documentary was in the same way that people get those very disparate notions of what we are from the news articles they read and things like that. But I felt the film did a good job of showing that, you know, we really have a community that takes this seriously. And then I was reading some reviews and it was like, oh, these guys have a real clever way of dressing up progressive politics as a religion. We were described as, as Mary, we were described as Mary pranksters. And I'm like, Sorry, I don't see myself as a prankster. There and there is nothing ironic about my Satanism. There's there's nothing satirical or ironic about my Satanism. It is deadly serious. I actually really don't like irony. Like I I kind of don't get it and I kind of don't like it. And I'm drawn to people who are unironically 
into something and who are unironically the thing that they are. And that's what drew me to Satanism. Right. Well, it's funny how many people think that because they find something funny or because they find something offensive or shocking or whatever, that that must be the purpose of it, you know? And, and that's funny to me because to me, there is nothing funny about our dispute in Arkansas, you know, to put the Baphomet monument up on the public grounds where they put up a Ten Commandments monument. And it's funny to me to see people, they see the Baphomet monument, they hear Satanists say, you know, we have equal access to this public forum. And they say, that that's fucking hilarious. And not only is it hilarious to them, but then they they assume that hilarity was our cause uh, before anything else. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could probably rail on and on about the article, but we should probably move on. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's there's just so much to break down in the article, but we no need to spend more time on that. Since we're since we're in the weeds here, I do have some questions from my audience, from both Twitter and my Discord server. Um, this was one that that someone on Twitter just submitted. So, Lucian, you can tell me if you want this cut out or not, and we can just move on. But well, it sounds like it's going to be good. <laughs> but someone on Twitter asks, "Is he anti-Semitic, like everyone says?" Your response. Uh, I don't think everybody says that. No, a know? very, very small handful of people say that. 20 years ago, there's a podcast where I, I cracked some really we, distasteful we jokes. We really don't need to cover this all over again if you don't want to. <laughs> like, no, it's, okay. it's fine. <laughs> okay. It's fine. Okay. People, people act like I avoid the question, too. Okay. And I, I don't. I never no, have. I just, I, I just figure you're probably sick of talking about it, but go on. We can we can talk about it. Somebody wanted to know. Yep. <laughs> it's good enough for Fair. me. Okay. But, but, you know, even though I don't hold the same opinions that I held 20 years ago, I still can't let people say that my opinions were what they were not even 20 years ago. Yeah. So the comments I made were coming from a place of militant atheism. And I made these comments about how I felt it was okay to make fun of Jews in certain circumstances. And, you know, this was a very inarticulate and idiotic way. And it's humiliating to me that people hear this now. I sound like a complete moron. And I'm saying that, you know, if if you're talking about people dressed in traditional religious garb and, and doing like these archaic rituals and that they actually believe that, uh, you know, there's this one true God and they're God's people or whatever, that's worthy of mockery. But I said even then that I didn't believe that it was okay by any means to throw people under the bus because of their ancestral lineage, I thought. And, and that was my way of saying, you know, ideologies are open for mockery. You know, somebody's genetic history, their ancestry, you know, things outside of, of ideological adherence, things like that, that's off limits. You, you don't you don't hold that against somebody. But I still sounded like an idiot. It still sounded really insulting. And and I have no desire to insult religious Jews now. You know, I, I was mm -hmm. much harsher on religion before really, really having the religion of the satanic temple and realizing, you know, that I do think there's a space for people to have their beliefs as long as they don't impose them on anybody else and that we can, you know, we can all just kind of share this space and we don't have to, we don't have to be bothered by one another in this way. 
And that's what I was saying 20 years ago. And that said, you know, again, I disagree with a lot that I did believe 20 years ago, hmm. but that was what I, and I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk that way now, you know, Absolutely. It's, and I, I wouldn't want to hurt anybody's feelings over that kind of thing. And I certainly wouldn't want to insult anybody, you know, from a Jewish background and, you know, I'm going to pull the whole Jewish friend thing here, <laughs> but, but people have no idea how many of my, uh, closest personal contacts, including the other co-founder of the Satanic Temple, come from Jewish backgrounds. Yeah, you know? Malcolm is Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and the fact of the matter is, is uh it's not usually my Jewish friends who are taking issue with this. It's usually some white kid somewhere, you know, getting pissed off because they want to get pissed off is what I think is what I think I'm seeing here. They, yeah. they saw an opportunity. They saw, they saw uh, a, a misstep in my language at a point and, and they don't have much else and they never want to let it go. And, you know, what would be better that I disappear from the public eye that I not do the things I'm doing now. I mean, I have 10 years now where I think my writings have elaborated my viewpoints and everything else. I mean, it would be different, I think, if a podcast from 20 years ago surfaced and there was nothing else to say for where I had come from or what I'm doing or where I stand today or whatever. But after all this time and all this material, I think you're really fucking reaching, you know. Have you seen the movie Doubt? I have not. So so I, I might be making this up, and I talked about this in my interview with Katie Herzog last year, um, because she talks a lot about online dysfunction and being trashed online, and, you know, she was basically brutally churned on by her entire community, and... In that conversation, I and, and I might I I was like very high on drugs when I watched the movie, so I might entirely be making this up, and I haven't seen it since. But she in in the movie Doubt, there's this scene where a younger nun confronts the older nun, played by by the devil Devil Wears Prada lady, and she the older nun the mother superior hates this priest hates him and is trying to destroy him and this younger nun says you just don't like him it has this has it's because he's modern it's because he uses modern pens it's because he uses modern pencils it's because he dresses in a modern way again i might be entirely making this up but this is what i remember you just don't like him and as a result you're trying to destroy him is is you know again this is me remembering this through the fog of you know being on massive painkillers at the time so take all of that with a grain of salt but i think that there's something there in that i really think that so much of the rage that we see in online spaces and and so much of the so much of the attempts to destroy other people it really almost very often has nothing to do with the reasons that they state. It just has to do with the fact that that person rubs them the wrong way, the wrong way, and they don't like that person. And they're people I've never met. In my case, you know, like, oh yeah, uh, same, right? <laughs> yeah, same. These... Pe people, I have been ruthlessly trashed on Twitter over the years, like brutally trashed. And and people you've never spoken to, probably like me. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then then I see these claims, like. I didn't hear I didn't know about these people in Seattle until they had stolen our Facebook page and, and Twitter account or whatever and started 
posting harassing, doxing things about us. And then, you know, we get all these claims like, well, TST is a pyramid scheme and everything like without definition. TST is a cult. And it's like, well, how how does that work? You know, (laughs) like in what way is it a cult and things like that? But it's like, ultimately, it's like my big question is, so what happened to you specifically? It's it's really bizarre to me that we see all these claims about the nature of TST without any of these people saying what actually happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, the the whole thing, I've, I've heard a lot of people throw around the word cult. And I'm like, I'm sorry. As someone who was raised in a pretty repressive evangelical setting... TST is like the anti-cult. I feel very free to be myself, to think my thoughts, to disagree with leadership when I need to, 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 to air my opinions. I have never felt, ever felt this an imposition onto how I think or how I live. Uh, you, you brought me back to it. I got to go back to the Newsweek article now. <laughs> That's okay. We, let's was, go back. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was Salami who in the uh, who in her quote claimed that. It, and I mention it because this is the only time somebody tried to uh, put a definition on what they meant by calling TST a cult. And according to Salami. Um, she got kicked out because of asking me about Twitter, which just isn't true. And I feel is provably untrue, just given the fact that the, you know, you can look up other articles about the Twitter suit that will tell you it was actually about, you know, this Mm -hmm. tweet Mm -hmm. talking about burning down our headquarters and things like that. But her claim was that then everybody was told not to associate with her, not to talk with her and things like that. And that infuriates me because we never do that. We've never yes. held it against somebody. But even in Salami's case, her boyfriend was working with TST. Nobody suggested he should resign. Yeah. Nobody held it against him. She was kicked out for other reasons. And then, which had nothing to do with talking to me about Twitter or anything like that. She was kicked out of TST. He, you know, nobody, nobody said anything against him. You know, it, it was like, I don't know. You know, personally, I'm thinking, I don't know how you're going to work this out at home or whatever, but but fine, you know, and he, he worked with us and then he uh, he stopped for a while, but not because he had any animosity towards TST. Uh, they're not seeing each other anymore and he's back with TST. But, you know, the, the whole the whole thing just kind of underscores just how little we've actually done to keep people from associating with anybody, even people who provably been trying to do us harm. Yep, exactly. You know, I've I have a few very close evangelical friends in in the area. I call myself an ecumenical slut. Like I I hang out with all of like every I want more friends in life. I don't want fewer. And so I I have really close friends from a vast swath of religious backgrounds and I really value those friendships. And so some of my very close evangelical friends I think are are kind of worried that I'm in a cult. And one of my friends, one of my best friends actually voiced this he was like Stephen, i'm there's something cult-like going on here and i was like okay let's let's talk about this some let's let's explore this and he he was like well you know it feels kind of like a cult of personality like you know with lucian up there at the top and malcolm and i was just like okay 
okay, look, I don't think about Lucian. Lucian, I'm basically only thinking about Lucian when he when he is in front of me talking to me on the show. What I am thinking about on a day-to-day basis is the community. That's what I'm thinking because it isn't about Lucian or Malcolm. The community that they have built isn't about either of these guys. It is about the people. And I and don't despite, spend I, I wish time. I could be I wish I could be more anonymous and less in the public yeah. eye, honestly. And by by design, I feel like I'm as, as little as I can be. But um if if I honestly, if I did not need subscribers, I know uh I know the uh, theory. <laughs> I know. I know the theory is that I'm I'm living large off of money made from TST, but that's not true. Like, you're, li- you're living off of Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> you're living I mean, off of Patreon. Yeah, I get it. it. No, it's not. It's not that great. You the, know, and, the only reason if, if I didn't if I wasn't relying on that, uh, you know, I, I'd probably delete all my social media and disappear. I get it. No, I mean, yeah, no, my Patreon is the reason why I was able to repair my car last month. Like, if I if it weren't for my patrons, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And so, no, like and also this this thing with the cult, the 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 idea of being a cult. I I was thinking about this after my conversation with my evangelical friend. I think what it came down to is you seem to be doing a lot of work with TST and it's taking up a lot of your time. And because it is a new religious movement that is filtered because it's with a spooky religion that a lot of people don't understand, that somehow gets filtered through cult. And I and I was just like, okay, I have put in equal if not more amounts of work for mainline accepted religious traditions. I have worked for an Episcopalian church. I was a missionary with Youth with a Mission. I have worked with various ministries before I left Christianity and became a Satanist. At no point because of that level of work, and I mean it is grinding work. I mean it is it can be soul crushing work at times. Too soul crushing. But because it was evangelical and acceptable, the response was, oh, look at the good work you're doing. Whereas now I put in a lot of work into something that I'm really passionate about and something that I really care about and a community that that I find very meaningful. And suddenly it's a cult. And I really think that it has a lot to do with the fact that it's a new religious movement that spooks people. Well, for some people, the word cult is just a synonym for new religious movement. And yeah. in, in the, for that reason, some of the academics won't even use the word cult because they feel like it's just a pejorative against new religions. I'm different. I feel like the word cult is useful. It has meaning, but um, there's not a clear definition as to what distinguishes. There's usually kind of checklists, you know, about what kind of things a cult tends to do what makes something a cult. But I think, you know, part of the measure of a cult is whether people have a cultic relationship with it. And sometimes people will have a cultic relationship with sports teams or whatever else. And on my end, the people who come to TST and they have kind of a cult-like mentality, they make me nervous. And they're usually the people who defect the loudest and hardest too. They get pissed off because true. they're not being told how to live. And they, they're getting mad because I'm not dictating 
the minutia of their political opinions to them and things like that. So then they, they get the idea that I disagree with the greater cause, whatever it might be, you know, and that not that I'm just placing lim- uh, limits on, you know, where my authority is on, on dictating what are, you know, what the thought processes are within the satanic community and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that in order for something to be called a cult, you do have to have something that's very hierarchical, very authoritarian, engages in authoritarian conditioning, and does do things like uh, excommunicate people for for asking questions or isolating people from uh, from other people who might not believe the tenets of Satanism and that type of thing, all very much antithetical to the social culture that we've developed within the Satanic Temple in reality. But what's funny about that is, you know, we've never done, we've, from the very beginning, we've been had this anti-cult mentality. And that's also kind of by design because I've studied cults, you know, I've studied new religious movements and have done so since before the inception of TST. So I know these kinds of things to look out for, and I know the things we don't want to become and that kind of thing, Mm. things to warn against. What's uh, disheartening and somewhat fascinating is to see that despite all of that, you get the accusation anyway. Yes. Yeah. And and it really does, I think, have to do in part with the fact that we are a minority religion. We're we're one of the spooky religions. The the Catholic Church is almost never, you know, unless you're Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris, never accused of being a cult. And yet they have some, you know, I, I was Catholic for a time and they have some pretty horrific policies, even as they have tried to reform some. the A, a, a lot of the policies and the holy orders, for example, uh, my partner is a Jesuit and, and the, the strictures that they put on you are stunning. People don't call the Jesuits a cult. <laughs> People don't call holy orders a cult, but uh, and that's because it's a mainline accepted religion. Right. And I think, you know, we're uh, we've always just been vulnerable to accusation being a new religious movement and being Satanists. And I, I think that, you know, just the most disappointing part is to see, you know, who's exploited that the most. And it's generally been, I think, narcissistic people who came to TST hoping to up their public profile and mm-hmm. you know if they couldn't do it with us they'd do it against us mm-hmm. um so since we're airing uh dirty laundry and and so on there's another accusation that comes up a lot do you have time by the way how, what how are you on time I have I have time for accusations okay <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so so just another thing that I see going around that I think would that would be helpful for some clarity on and I'm pretty sure I, you know, I'm not worried about it, but I think a lot of people that I've seen and by a lot I mean a few people on Twitter, you are you have sometimes been accused of having a relationship people cannot see my air quotes but they're here your relationship with augustus sol invictus do you know about that and and it yeah has yeah to... i know about that but i don't know him and yeah I've exactly spoken you... to him i've never <laughs> read his bullshit material like i don't care like i i get first, first let's from... back up let's back up and tell people who augustus sol invictus is i don't really he's some guy in florida and he's uh he's, <laughs> he's, he's one of those He's an he's alt-right guy, those, isn't he? What's that? He's an alt-right guy, isn't he? I, I guess. I guess or something, he's one yeah. Of, well, he's one of those who has uh, 
one of those kind of old school Levian perspectives on uh, on the left hand path, from what I understand, the authoritarian type thing or whatever. And um, what happened was I was invited to speak at a left hand path conference um, and he was invited too. And I knew he was invited and I don't like the ideas being put forward by that camp. You know what I mean? And to be honest, I really was looking forward to the idea of being able to debate this guy, make him look like a fucking fool. And then they disinvited him because people were complaining that he was a fascist. And so I withdrew from the conference myself because I, I felt that was kind of the point. You know what I mean? Like uh, there's I, I feel like there's baggage in the self-identified left hand path community and that it doesn't go away by ignoring that it was there. You know what I mean? It's like, I think the more people who realize what Levianism was trying to tell us or which directions it went with some of these people, the better, honestly, you know, like, I think they can understand better where we're coming from in contrast to that. And they'll understand better why maybe that's not the way to go. You know, it makes me sick to see like the COS Twitter feed um, trying to essentially imitate us, you know, while saying that we're imitating them, but clearly taking on like this uh, progressive politics demeanor and their public messaging. While in the background, you can see they're, they're being run by, you know, very much alt-right characters. And so I did not like the idea of people bitching and moaning and getting somebody thrown out of a conference that way. And I never have. And this is something that this is what makes people call call me all right, you know, because they, they want to shut down speech preemptively and that kind of thing. I withdrew. I wrote a thing and I said, this is why I withdrew. And now all of a sudden it turns into I'm best buddies with this guy. And every so often, you know, people will demand that I denounce certain characters like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos or, you know, other alt-right guys. And the fact of the matter is, I have not read their material. I'm not interested in their material. I'm not interested in their thoughts. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in these pop culture alt-right guys. And I'm not going to read their fucking material, go through their comments and statements just to appease some assholes on Twitter who demand that I denounce these guys whose material I don't give a shit about. And who are, if they spent any time reading your work, it would be obvious that you are not aligned with them in any way. Yeah, and 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 also, I'm not going to denounce people if I'm not going to read their material either. Fair, because yeah. the things I've said, I've heard, I've seen people say about what people said as opposed to what those people actually said, sometimes is really far off the fucking mark. True. And you know, you mentioned Milo Yiannopoulos. There there was this thing where uh, and this is another thing that's held against you on Twitter <laughs> is that you uh, spoke out against somewhere. I forget where this was, maybe some article or whatever, some interview. I don't I don't know uh, where you spoke out against the violent reactions against Milo at Berkeley. Berkeley. And this was yeah. and, and, you know, this is like ancient Internet history now. But back when Milo Yiannopoulos was unfortunately relevant, he he basically he went on this Tour. No, it, if you ask me, they made him relevant, and I that agree. was part of my that was part of my complaint. There, I honestly hadn't heard of the guy until people were burning shit down at Berkeley because yeah. I don't fucking read Breitbart. I don't read. <laughs> 
the uh, <laughs> presumed witticisms of some, you know, confused gay, Con- confused uh, homosexual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, confused, I think, on his political orientation when it comes to the rest of that. Maybe not his but... sexual orientation. However, now he's come out as ex-gay, and that's that's the movement that I come out of. I was in the ex-gay world, and so now he's like, I'm going through reparative therapy and all of this stuff. So he's also confused on his sexual orientation as well, not just his political orientation. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, if, if people had read my comments, it would have been, you know, the point that, you know, you're making this guy a household name. Yes. And you're really diverting attention away from what he's actually saying by bringing attention to him speaking at this school, because now, you know, you've given this guy the opportunity to just position himself as a free speech warrior, you know, devoid of whatever uh, topical content he was actually going to cover or whatever else. And, you know, it really worked for him. You can see, you know, there there was a lot of commentary, even mainstream articles were talking about how he had become, you know, a household name overnight because, it, you know, protesters at Berkeley insisted on making it so. Now you'll see them today saying, see, deplatforming works because ironically, they're referring to Yiannopoulos' own words where he posted something talking about, oh, since I've been canceled, I've lost so much money. I don't have speaking engagements and stuff like that. Bullshit. Bullshit. What really sunk him was that he opened his mouth too fucking much. Yes, he it was, was the right was, that canceled him. It wasn't the left. Right. He, Actually, he started talking he, he, he started talking uh, sympathetically about pedophilia. Correct. He was on a show, yep. and that was when he got canceled. It was like, you know, those attempts to cancel him at Berkeley only made him big, and then he said shit that offended the conservatives too, and everybody kind of forgot about him. And now everybody tells their own convenient narrative about how, like, ah, oh, look, you got to burn shit down, and then you know, then you've deplatformed a guy. I think that Milo Yiannopoulos is a failure of the left, and I think that because he wasn't the the left, and by the left, I I don't mean just you know like the, the the communists and social democrats and democratic socialists and so on i mean you know left of center we the left it was the right that defeated milo it wasn't the left the the left had such horribly bad tactics in their response to him it is almost as if they had never encountered a troll before in their life it was as if they had never learned how to deal with a shitty troll right and, and in my mind yeah. they elevated him yes put they him did. on this pedestal for the conservatives and then they got mad at people like me for saying i don't think you should handle it this way exactly and i'm also a nazi and that's the <laughs> thing that that, that just kills me Same. most about progressive politics when it's when it gets to that point where it's like you can't discuss best tactics without people saying like uh, uh, you know that you, that you must be against the cause like there was a there was a statistician who got fired from his job for the, tweeting on John Twitter. Shore or David Shore. Yeah. Yes, I yeah, know. It was uh, right. Yep. The, the protest broke out after George Floyd was murdered. And he said, you know, and sure, it might not have been the right time, but, you know, he's an analytical mind. Right. You, you got to make some concessions for people's difference differences in processing emotional material, too. Yes. But he he thought it was important to point out that, you know, violence in the streets, riots, protests in an election year traditionally favor a Republican candidate. Correct. And it's true. There's it data true. to support that. It's there's and you know, people were saying now is not the time. 
Now is not the time to talk about it. Of course it is. And he when got else fired. do you fucking talk about it? When it's most relevant, when it's happening, when you can stop something from being a problem, when it's time to talk tactic, you know, you're you're hitting that, on that, that just kills me when people kill the messenger like that. He could have even been wrong. You know what I yes. mean? You could you could look at the data and maybe say, like, ah, actually, it turns out that's not true. There was a you know, there was a there was an error in data collection at the time, whatever. You know what I mean? So what? It doesn't mean he said it in malice. You know, I, I fully believe that he believed, because I also believe, that that's a true fact, that the, the kind of violence in the streets and everything traditionally favors Republicans who people wrongly, I think, view as the law and order party, you know, the, the consistent, stable, you know, the, the, the underlying mentality of conservatism. You know, people will start leaning towards that. And there was certainly nothing wrong with him pointing that out. And there's no reason to believe that he had right wing sympathies because of it. But anyways, that was my long belabored way of saying that that's what I really that was really what I find most disheartening about progressive activism right now is that uh, insistence that of latching onto one tactic and then deciding that anything that uh, that might question that tactic is is heresy. You're hitting on something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, and I've been trying to find a way to write about this on my blog. And uh, so I'm just going to say it, and maybe this will turn into a blog post. But something that's really worrying me about our current progressive place is I, I feel like, and this might not be accurate, but I feel like a lot of part, uh, many parts of the left are shutting down avenues for self-criticism and self-correction. And when, because of how those criticisms might rhyme with something that the right says, right? And the reason this really worries me is that a movement that cannot self-correct, that cannot introspect, that cannot correct course from within is just doomed to failure. And the left already has too long of a history of infighting. And I mean, all the way, you know, going back decades. I mean, this isn't like the modern meme of the left eats its own on Twitter. It this this it's a trend that goes back a long ways of of just not being able to find unity, not being able to find, you know, a common cause, a common ground within leftist movements. And, and of course, there are some important exceptions like the civil rights movement and so on, gay rights, etc. But I'm really worried that we are that that we progressives are shutting down avenues for self-criticism because of how it rhymes with something that the right says. And so often I will be in conversation with someone and I say something and suddenly it's as if there is the ghost of Milo Yiannopoulos standing right behind me and they're no longer talking to me. They're talking to that apparition over my shoulder. They're talking about, they, they're taught suddenly talking to that troll who's, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen to what I'm saying about free speech. You're not talking to a right wing troll on Twitter. You're talking to me and I'm not on the left or I'm not on the right. You know who I am. You know, I'm not on the right. Why are you interacting with me as if I am suddenly this troll for bringing up concerns about free speech, bringing up concerns about that that might derail the goals of the left? 
And right. it, it is yeah. it is true that you see the the right wing camp always bring up the concept of free speech now as though they've yes. always been the champions of free speech. And it, it's not true. You know, exactly. Ronald Reagan was very much uh, against the free speech movement at Berkeley and his mm-hmm. time as governor there. He, he did much to try to shut it down. While Martin Luther King was the champion of free speech at the time and the hippies and yippies were all championing uh, their causes under the banner of free speech and things like that, you know, and it goes back and forth. And you have to you you have to uh, you have to set principles that can work regardless of the times. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Satanism of the Satanic Temple entrenched in our very tenets is this notion of a self-correcting system yes reliant upon debate free speech and free inquiry and you must have all those things together you can't take one of them apart and then have the rest of them they all they're all dependent on one another so if you're still grappling with the idea that free speech sometimes defends speech that you find offensive or or callous or whatever else, um, and you're not able to reconcile that with a principled position that would still allow the satanic temple to speak, mm-hmm. you know, when Catholics complain or whatever else, all these questions I bring up in the free speech articles that nobody nobody bothers to address before they start criticizing my position and, and pretending that it's merely an avenue by which I'm defending the most odious speech possible. You know, it's it's just intellectual dishonesty. But to me, that's the essence of who we are. And that really separates us, I think, from the pop culture politics, the social media activism that we see now, that's going to be a very short term thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, our integrity depends on having real principled positions that we will be able to apply consistently, regardless of whichever way the pendulum swings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think one of the reasons why the the rights of minorities have been so successful in this country, and of course that is not saying that there aren't still problems. There are absolutely still problems. The rights for, but the rights for gay people, trans people, etc., have been an absolute triumph in America, and there's still more work to be done. But I think one of the reasons why it was a triumph, as well as the civil rights movement, is because of the free speech protections. And without those free speech protections, minorities who people do want to shut up, who people would rather, you know, say, no, they're disgusting, don't ever listen to them, because of free speech protections that are universal, right? those rights were able to advance. And that isn't the only component, but I feel like it's a very important component. It is a very important component. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I think this is part of the problem where goes back to the problem of people viewing us as merely political and not really religious. So I feel like they take our claims for equal access to be more of an act of trolling or pranksterism than something that comes from a genuine place. And I don't think they understand that there are some of us who genuinely feel it when some uh, city council says we can't deliver an invocation when they're allowing prayers from other religious groups to stand up there. Uh, I don't think they they understand it when we're treated differently in the courts that we're not laughing on the way home. We're horrified. We're horrified feeling that 
you know, it's been codified that it's allowed to marginalize us in that way. I think there are a lot of people who feel like we've taken on a superfluous identity that we could walk away from. And they're not considering the fact that, no, we really feel this is an essential part of our identity and we're being shit upon. And so they hear our arguments for free speech and their first thoughts aren't thinking, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They're Satanists. Everybody's always trying to shut them up. Every time they do anything, there's other religious groups claiming that all they're doing is trying to offend them. Uh, they don't really know the reality of it. And I think part of their uh, part of their proclivity to see our arguments in the least charitable light also come from that failure to understand who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Um, but do you have any final thoughts before we we wrap this up? I wasn't thinking anything the whole time, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> you were just in a void. Yeah. I understand. Um, cool. Well, well. Um, oh, oh, one last question. Do you have another? I, I think we might have talked about this last time, but just real quick. Do you have, um, is there another Satanic Planet album looming on, on the horizon? And if so, do you know when it's coming? I, I don't know when it's coming, but we're working on it now and we've got a, a couple tracks that I really like and now we're working with uh dave lombardo through the creative process which is a whole new thing too so it's kind of like a new there's a new element to the band previously we had recorded everything in the studio and then we gave it all to lombardo and he added stuff to it mm -hmm. this time he's more part of the creative process with writing the music and everything and i'm being a uh less cautious with my vocals <laughs> this awesome. time around trying to expand on that and, and try out different things. And so far, everything's working out really well. And I'm really excited about the next Satanic Planet album. And as it appears, it seems like Satanic Planet will play its first show in February as part of Satan Con. And oh, nice. we'll, play some of, we'll play some of our new material then. And hopefully we'll also stream the show on TST TV or something like that. But really looking forward to that. And, you know, when I have a lot of tedious, shitty work and a lot of administrative stuff and a lot of uh, uh, trying to mediate disputes and things like that, I'm just so grateful that I also have a creative project to work with that, uh, that comes together as well as Satanic Planet. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's it for this show. Uh, the music is by Eleventy Seven. The theme song is Wild by Eleventy Seven. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. <laughs>